Knock, knock. Who's there? Cock torturer. Cock torturer who? Well, the cock torturer is coming for all of you. November 13th, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on all formats of pay-per-view and on internet pay-per-view via the Fight app. Talking Shopamania 2. Rise of the Cock Dodger! <laughs> now part of the All Everything Entertainment Podcasting Network. Working Fans Podcast, cool. Yep. All right, here we go. Coming down three, two. another week of the Working Fans Podcast. This is AJ. I'm the former wrestler. We've got Dave, the ultimate fan, here with us. As we do every week, our producer, Joe, may likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter. That's at Fans Working. Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast and for any ideas that you might have that's working fans wrestling pod at gmail.com we're on instagram where you can keep up with us at working fans wrestling underscore pod and then you can now listen to us on all major platforms including anchor.fm we're on google podcasts spotify breaker overcast Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out, and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. All right, everybody, it's the Working Fans Podcast with the man they call Dave. Yep, that's me. (laughs) And AJ Strange Brew, that's him. And today we're going to have a little uh, discussion on ratings and why does ratings, in my opinion, makes fans so toxic. AJ, do you agree with that? We're going to talk about that a little bit because I know when I was younger, I didn't really think about the ratings. It wasn't until the Monday night era where we kind of really started about started about that. So, AJ, your thoughts. I don't think the fans need a reason to be toxic. I think they are toxic. <laughs> I, I think that we go into wrestling now, we don't watch it like we did. When we were kids, we watched it to suspend belief. And for an hour to two hours, we watched it because we wanted to watch our heroes fight the bad guys. Or in my case, watch my heroes fight the good guys. <laughs> it was a moment to basically suspend belief. Yeah, suspend belief. Easy for me to say, from mm. the world. Now we watch it to dissect things and to see what went wrong. The favorite chant of the people is always things like, you fucked up. You yeah. fucked up. <laughs> uh, people want to dissect things and everybody wants to be an expert on the subject. And I know that sounds weird coming from people talking about it on a wrestling podcast that everybody wants to be an expert on the subject. But fuck you, I wrestled for 10 years. I am an expert because for yourself. Um, but when you've had the concussions, the back pain, the knee pains, and the ankle pains that I have from the bumps that I took, then they can come and talk to me. Until then, we're the working fans. You're just being worked. You better hope, like, I don't have, like, a 10-year, 15-year veteran watch this show. who has got a difference of opinion. Well, I got something to say to you, pal. Do you, George South. <laughs> Although George South is Dave's best friend, so... Love that guy. Hey, I will say, everybody that pretty much I talked to about this said the same thing, that basically that 
it it would probably make it less toxic if fans couldn't see the ratings, but it wouldn't it would still be toxic. Basically, social media, today's society, ratings are just a it's a chance for fans to be toxic. The chance it to jump is. on it. Yeah. Well, it's a chance to prove their toxicity. Right. And also, yeah, they're correct. Right. There you go. There's, it's a chance for them to, like, uh, I think Scott was, I think he might have been quoting, Disco Inferno brought this up too. It's like fans are basically looking at it like, <clears throat> this is mostly NXT versus AEW we're talking about right now too, or WWE versus AEW, where the ratings come out. Are you quoting Disco Inferno? I think he was the one that said this, so I want to be fair. He actually said that fans have become like almost like it's a sports team now. They're picking their sides, and rather than just watching like wrestling shows with an open mind of whether you like the show or not, ratings come out, and it's like to justify how they feel. Or in the case of WWE, who's probably losing these ratings nine times out of ten, those fans will come out and go, "Well, no, no, this is why you're wrong." <laughs> like it's all bullshit. Like none of them have really what to do. NWA WCW in 1989, which had Ric Flair versus Terry Funk and some of my favorite wrestling, was not winning any ratings or winning that competition back then. But it was some of the best yeah. damn wrestling. We were watching wrestling on Sunday mornings on TBS. I yeah. don't think any. I, I don't think any of the ratings wars were coming into play. No, um, not at all. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong with that great lead-in of Captain Planet. I'm sure it was huge. Don't forget about uh, Bonanza on early Saturday morning when you wanted to watch a little WCW Power Hour early in the morning. Exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, however, here's, here's the big thing. And like you were saying, people use whatever they want as tools to prove that their theories or their opinions are correct. And we can sit there and go, well, look at the rating on this. How accurate even are the ratings these days? Mm. Between all the live streaming, the people that are recorded, watch it later, I never watch it as it's happening. I, I don't remember the live <laughs> show that I watched as it was happening. Right. And so I watch everything after. Now, don't get me wrong, like yourself, like our producer mm. Joe, like other wrestling fans, I watch hours upon hours of wrestling so that we can talk about this every week. I watch stuff that, quite frankly, at the end of the day, I'm like, why the hell did I do that? <laughs> and but never once do I think, oh, God, I hope Joe Schmo in Sheboygan, Idaho, mm. is freaking watching this so that they get their ratings popped. Right. Ratings, I don't think are accurate and I don't think they mean as much as people think they do. Mm. But don't get me wrong, Tony Khan can use it to get advertising dollars mm. and use it to say, hey, look at the steps that we're making in the right direction. Sure. And that's awesome to make money off of it. But I think even Tony Khan realizes that the ratings only mean so much. Yeah, in terms of like as a fan, you should be more worried about what you're watching as a product. You know, obviously it's nice to have a little concern that you hope this product you like is doing well, but that doesn't mean you got to go on the warpath, folks. Relax. <laughs> even when Tony Khan talks about it, if you notice, he doesn't talk about the million. Oh, we've got a million viewers. That's not what he's talking about. Right. He talks about the age of the viewer average. He mm -hmm. talks about right. And the reason why is because once again, he's looking at the advertising dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about knowing your target audience, mm -hmm. especially. I mean, when you're trying to make money at first, with now being no fans in the building. Where are you making money from? You're making money from your sure. television or from your advertising dollars. So if you're not pointing out to them and going, hey, <laughs> I've got 18 to 35-year-olds watching like crap. Well, hell yeah. That's going to help push the button. But as far as the fans go and toxicity, no, they're freaking toxic assholes to begin with. 
you imagine Tony Khan? <laughs> no way I can even imagine Vince getting on Twitter. Yeah, baby! <laughs> we did it! We're the best! Hey, everybody, we tweet this. We're so proud. <laughs> and I don't mean, like, they can tout their ratings. They do sometimes. But I'm saying, you're not going to see them getting involved in fucking comment sections, like, you know, arguing about this. I can't imagine Tony doing that. I would hope not. We know, we know Bruce Pritchard to a point is... Bit of a bullshit artist when it comes to talking about things, yep. whether it's money, attendance, or um, viewership. Sure. But one of the things he always says is that even during Monday Night Wars, that they weren't really fully paying attention to ratings at that time. Mm. That, yeah, they obviously wanted to be higher in the ratings, but what they were trying to do is right the ship, and they were trying to figure out <coughs> ways to draw in more of the live viewership from not just TV, but also from the crowd, selling the merchandise. They were looking at those numbers. They weren't necessarily looking at the viewership. Is Eric Bischoff one of the founding fathers of, hey, check out my ratings? <clears throat> because at the time, he was probably using it as a tool because it was so different that they were ever beating WWE in anything. And it was like he was kind of touting his own success and using it as a tool. Well, it was really the only thing that Bischoff had going for him at that time. Right. They, they were never going to have the ma the marketing that the WWE has because that's what the WWE does, a marketing genius when it comes to pushing their product. He was never going to match them in that. And the one positive he had going was, hey, look, we're beating them in the ratings war. Yeah, they sold out some stadiums and stuff of that nature, but it really came down to was the ratings war. Hey, look, we're... We're at a 4.7, they're right. at a 3.9, we've got them this week. Which, but, you know, but you saw how valuable the ratings were because they ended up getting their ass whooped. Yeah, and you kind of think actually if he had maybe been a little bit low, more low-key about those ratings, maybe he wouldn't have lighted a fire under Vince McMahon's ass and he wouldn't have got you know, Steve well, Austin. Here's the, other, here's the other problem, you can get all the views you want, but if you're getting more views on something and you're not turning out a good product eventually those views are going to go down because people are going to spread the word, hey, I tuned in this week, it was garbage. Right, right. And right. as WCW went on, they could not continue to turn out a good product. And those views eventually got people to go to other places because eventually the negativity of, what are we watching over here, eventually got to them. Yeah, I would agree. Ratings a lot of times, just momentum. And, you know, it's more important to put on a good product. But I think at the end of the day, we're both going to just agree the fans are going to be toxic no matter what. And wrestling mirrors society. And we're in a toxic time of society. We're in an incredible toxic world right now, whether it's cancel society or mm. whether it's everybody wanting to use God knows what against everybody. Everybody mm. wants something negative. We, are, we keep hearing society on a whole go, hey, accept people, accept people. Mm. But the people that are screaming accept people the most are the ones who don't accept other people's differences and don't allow debates without hatred. If you can't have discussions like we have every week without hatred, at the end of the week, me and Dave don't agree on everything, but the one thing we agree on is we're still friends at the end of the day. Mm. We don't fucking take this personally. I don't take his horrible taste in the Young Bucks horribly. <laughs> I just... At the end of the day, we're friends who have a disagreement. And until we can find that in the world, the world's screwed. Hey, accept everything and be different. Just don't disagree with me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got a question for you. Off topic, though, since you brought up the Young Bucks, totally sidebar. Better tag team, in your opinion, Young Bucks 
or Motor City Machine Guns? Who do you pick? Motor City, Motor City Machine Guns and a walk. Oh, I would actually, I'm not going to say a walk, but I agree with you. I actually, someone brought, this, someone brought this up today. All right. Hey, uh, hey, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the Motor City Machine Guns are more successful because right. obviously they're not on the platform that the Bucks are on. But the Bucks are one of the best tag teams in the world at marketing themselves yes. and at building um, what they've built. However, when it comes to in-ring work, I'm not talking about athleticism. The Bucks yeah. are athletic. However, I will take the wrestling and the storytelling of the Motor City Machine Guns any day of the week times three. I'll take the North over freaking the Young Bucks. I'll actually go a step further, too, and I'll say the, gun, the guns are even better on the mic, especially Alex Shelley. I'll throw that out there. Well, people right now, and we can have this debate for another time, mm-hmm. but people right now talk about AEW tag teams. And an impact. Tell you what, if you're sleeping on the impact tag team scene, you're sleeping on uh, tag team wrestling. I love the North. I'm glad you brought them up. Like the North to me, Josh Alexander just comes off so legitimate. And Ethan Page comes off as this wild card where he's like a little crazy at times, a little chicken shit at times, but just a big personality. Nobody expected them to actually pull off the tag team titles at Beyond Glory. Smart move, though. Now for Glory, sorry, Beyond Glory. Now for Glory. <laughs> and they ended up coming in there, and I think they shocked the world by getting the belts back. And you know what? I hope they get another year ring. Yeah, I'm really happy for them. I'm glad they didn't go with the obvious of the Good Brothers. I love the Good Brothers, but to me, they uh, let them chase it. Let's give it a when big story. When you've got a baby-faced team like that, you've got to have them chase. Yeah. If you're going to have them heels, they can win the belts right away and go right. heel and rogue on everybody. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But if they're going to be your baby-faced tag team, you got to have them chasing the titles. Yeah, I would agree. All right. Well, we gave you even a little bit of Young Bucks versus Motor City Machine Guns talk on this this week, guys. Bonus. So uh, you're welcome. Working Fans Podcast, we're out. All right, everybody, it's the Working Fans Podcast with the man they call Dave. And today I got the author of a book that's about the story of Lance Von Erich. A lot of people know him as the, you know, the wasn't the real Von Erich. But, uh, you know, there's two sides to every story. And we're going to maybe learn about this in the book. But today we're going to learn about the author a little bit. Mr. Vinny Berry. Vinny, how are you, sir? I am very well. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Thank you, thank you. So, you know, one of the things I like to ask about, you know, a lot of people that are involved in the wrestling business, and I know you have a love of pro wrestling, like, what started your love of pro wrestling? Like, what got you in it, whether it was, like, matches, promotions, like, where did your fandom begin? Well, I I lived in North Texas, where the Von Erics were from, so where I grew up watching the uh, world-class promotion. I moved there in 1980 and caught on to it a little while after that, and it was hard not to like. It was hard not to watch. Yeah, that, um, and they talk about that. I think it might have been Mike, Michael Hayes or something uh, said something along the lines that, that they really just, like, laid into each other, too. They were very much a very physical promotion. He said half the time it was like a damn shoot every night. So, you know, I mean... You picked a good promotion to kind of get into, I guess. Right. One of the wrestlers I interviewed for the the book, he had said that if they were in the corner and the Von Erichs were wailing on them, they had one hand below their belt and one hand on their face. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, doing my little research here, you've worked on TV as well, right? You were part of uh, a Fox affiliate? Yeah, I worked in television news for uh, about 18 years. Wow. And done that, and you know, just kind of 
learn how to tell stories, learn how to work. You know, I work alongside the reporters, so, you know, learn how to ask questions and just kind of, you know what a good story is and how to tell a story. And, and that's really where I, I, uh, I guess, grew my chops of, of telling stories and writing and whatnot. You know, it's interesting. I'm getting, I'm going to get a little sidetracked here, but, um, and I don't really get political on this show. You know, you, you said an interesting thing to me there, like telling stories, you know, I work for the news and I thought, I said this to somebody, like, the more, like, I'm on this earth and the older I get, I, I find that a lot of things, like, even, like, politicians and stuff, remind me of pro wrestlers, like, cutting promos, you know, having for some, do you see that? Is it just me or, you know? Yeah, no, no, you'll see it because they, they want to sound good on television, you know, and there was a, there was somebody in Austin that would do that all the time where it was like, dude, just. Just speak from your heart. You know, that's what I tell him because he wanted to sound so good that he would practice and practice and practice, you know. Some some of them are, are good speakers and, you know, just like, you know, when, when I was interviewing Lance, you know, he said, hey, you know, I, I could remember my lines in a movie, but, you know, when they put me in front of the camera to do my uh, ad limit for the pro, promos, he, he didn't think he was very good at that, you know. So some people are good at that. You know, talking in front of a camera and some people, you know, it's just one of those things you got to work at. Now, I just got a couple more questions about you. You were telling me, I think, before we talked that you were a sports writer and you got involved in booking for, like, boxing or MMA. How, well, tell me that story again because I'm just curious for a listener. Okay. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So, like I said, I've worked in television news. When I moved down here to South Texas, I uh, met some guys that had some boxing websites. They were writing for boxing and MMA. When I moved down here in uh, 2010, this is South Texas, the Rio Grande Valley, uh, the boxing and MMA scene, you know, for professionals was was a hotbed down here. And, I, I mean, they were running, like, I don't know, like five, five, six shows a year between both sports. So that kept us active. We, uh, me and my friends, we covered the scene down here and you know I, I bounced around I did like oh I don't know a couple couple websites and and then when I took a little hiatus there was a promoter down here his name was Jeff Benogli he went ahead he was an MMA promoter he wanted me to write for his promotion and, and help his sister with the public relations and the media and so I was helping her and I was doing the website doing the stories on his fighters and his events and whatnot. And it turned out that I ended up probably within about six months or a year, I became his matchmaker and was helping him side by side, setting up the fights and, you know, bringing in talent. And, and that was just because I knew who all these guys were after covering the scene for, you know, three, four years or whatever it was. Yeah, this is my very first book. And yeah, everything else I've written is, you know, for various websites. Now, articles and stories like that. What what got you excited to maybe write this book? What was it about it that uh, drew you to this one? Well, you know, what's so funny about this story is that every time that I would see, like, a picture of Lance, it, w it wouldn't be, like, all the time, but if you, you know, you Google Lance Von Eric or whatever happened to him or if you see him on a match or something, it was always, like, one of those things, like, wow, what an interesting story. You know, it's got to be a good story. It mm. just is one of those that I just kind of, like, gravitated toward. And so in, what, 2017, I started a website called Russellville.com where I started writing bios on professional wrestlers, guys, veteran wrestlers, and independent wrestlers, just 
wrestlers of all, you know, on different levels of the spectrum of the, the business, right? And I was speaking with James Beard, a referee here in Texas, spent a lot of time in Japan and in Dallas. And me and him were talking for a little while, and Lance kept on, you know, he'd come up in, the, in a conversation from time to time, and he told me how to get in touch with him, and I reached out to Lance, and he was willing to talk to me. Yeah, it's funny you say that, because, like, when you told me, when we talked about, you know, this book was coming out, and I was just thought to myself, you know, that, the first thing that hit my mind without even really talking to you any further about it, I was like, yeah, you don't really think about Lance's story. It always was like, he was the, 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 the basic narrative was that he was the imposter Von Eric and left at that. But then when you start to think about it, even just like a little bit, it's like, well, that wasn't his idea. That doesn't even make sense. Like, he had to be approached by this, and, you know, how did this all happen? And I guess that's what I think makes it kind of an interesting story. Right, right. Well, he's 25 years old, and they, you know, they came to him and said he could make money. And who at 25 doesn't want to make money, right? Right. You know, he had a good body. He was a handsome young man, and he kind of fit the mold what Fritz was looking for. But here's one thing that, you know, he gets criticized for his in-ring ability, and, oh, he's he was a, wasn't a very good wrestler and this and that. If you take this into consideration, take... You know, take this one thing in consideration while you're watching him. That guy never watched wrestling before in his life. That guy knew nothing about pro wrestling, didn't care for it. And then he's working right next to Kevin and Kerry, who grew up with wrestling all their entire life, you know. And so, yeah, they're going to look a little more polished and a little more uh, comfortable in the ring than he did because he, you know, for a long time, he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So he was pretty receptive to this then? Going into the wrestling business? I mean, uh, no, for the book. I'm just curious. Oh, in, into the book? At first, he was just, wasn't so much uh, resistant. He was just like, you know, when I would talk to him about it, and well, we did the article for the website, and then he liked the article, and I said, you know, you really got a good story. We, we should go further, and we should write a book. And he didn't think there was a, a market for it. And I said, you know, I really do think that people are going to find your story interesting. And one day he just said, okay, write the book. <laughs> and so we started calling each other every, you know, one day a week for I don't know how long, you know. It wasn't every single week. Sometimes we, we missed a week here or there. But, you know, we, we talked consistently for probably nine months. You know, and we still talk today, but I mean, when we were initially hammering out the information and trying to get the, the story for the book, yeah, we were talking on a regular basis, you know, all the time. Now, when I think of like, the, um, you know, the territory days too and everything and like that area, I imagine that there's got to be a lot of loyalists to Fritz and maybe there wasn't like, you know, when you're interviewing certain people, were certain people, we don't have to name, name drop, but I mean, were certain people where it was just resistant to want to give you information or, you know what I mean? Did you run any problems with anybody when trying to like, you know, that maybe could have helped you out with this, but said, nah, we're not doing that? Or Yes, I, I got some of that. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine... <laughs> Brian Adidas didn't want to talk to me. Right, okay, yeah. And he, he grew up with Kerry, and he I reached out to him. Somebody helped me get in contact with him, and he called me up, and he wasn't interested. We've, we've talked since. He, he's a nice guy, but he just, you know, he was just, you know, not, I guess not comfortable doing the book, you know? Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, like you said, he grew up with them, and maybe he just feels like he doesn't want anything possibly being put out there in a negative light. But, I mean, obviously, it's not really, like, 
we're just trying to get this guy's story out there. It was never told, you know? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we've been listening to the Von Erich Nation side of the story for 35 years. Yeah, and I, I'll say, I'm a huge Von Erich fan. Grew up with him. I had Ross and Marshall on the show. I think they're sweethearts. But there is two sides to every story. And, by the way, Ross and Marshall weren't even, you know, born then. They're not the same people, obviously, as their granddad. And, right, right. Right, you know, it's different, like, you know, like, he was a promoter. And, you know, like, so, <laughs> you know, like, people do different things for different reasons. And, it, yeah, it's just funny that this guy's story never came out when you think about it. Because, like, all it took me was, like, once you told me this book was coming out, I'm like, oh, yeah, why is this not? been told you know right and it's, it's really like one of the best untold stories if you think about it because a lot of people think they know if you go on a uh, sportatorium facebook group page or a von eric page or a uh, sportatorium or anything like that world class and you and you post a picture of lance von eric and you say lance was my favorite von eric something to those or hey this is my favorite wrestler something along those lines you will get feedback like you would not believe <laughs> and 95 percent of it is in favor of the von eric family yeah. you know oh he was an imposter he's a fake he's not a von eric you know don't you know this is an a tribute to the von eric family and it's like you know the dude was you know he's a wrestler too he you know, hey, let me tell you this. I lived in Dallas during that era, and they loved that guy. Mm. That guy got treated like a Von Erich. Not until Fritz and Kerry went on television and broke kayfabe did everybody turn their back on, on Lance. Mm. People say today, oh, I knew from the very beginning that he wasn't a Von Erich. I doubt you did, because people bought into that storyline really, really good. Yeah, especially that era. I remember, I think it was like Dark Side of the Ring when they were doing the uh, story of Gino and they, they, they had a story where people were calling the police to ask them to look into Chris Adams because in a storyline, he was blinded by Gino. So if you think about that time period, especially right. that area, like, no, nah, it seems very likely that I'm sure they did believe. Yeah. Right, right. Well, people, you know what? People bought in to the wrestling back then. I mean, they believed it, you know? I remember we went to a match, I think it was a Christmas night, and Skandor Akbar burned Iceman King Parsons. And, mm -hmm. oh my gosh. I mean, I cried, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I believe it, yeah. There is you know, you, you bring up Gino Hernandez and you bring up uh, Chris Adams. They both have a chapter in this book titled with their name. Mike Von Erich has a chapter in, in the, the book with his name on it. So does Kerry Von Erich. There's Billy Jack Haynes has one. You know, he talks about the people that participated in his life. And he talks about the people who he ran around with. And he had personal relationships with these guys. And, you know... So it'll be interesting for people to, to find out, you know, what he, you know, what he went through and what he did, why he was a professional wrestler and the guys that he hung out with and, you know, the things they did. And it's, it's just an interesting story. I just want to say, touch on something too, get a little sidetracked, but um, like you touched on it, like, you know, like buying in back then. And I, I will say there is something about the suspension of disbelief, like when they can just get, it's so hard now because of the internet and everything. Every once in a while, something good will come out and it gets you just for a little bit. But back then where you just really weren't sure, you could just see it. Like, like now, like I remember with the empty arena, like watching, trying to watch wrestling when it was completely empty arena and it had no sound. It was very difficult because I realized as 
I got an adult, I'm watching this more for a presentation. But I could watch MMA because I'm looking more for the result. The empty arena didn't bother me as much. I'm more glued, like, okay, who's going to win? But with wrestling, it was like, mm, I feel like it's missing something because the crowd is such a part of the presentation. I was wondering if you thought about that. I don't know if you keep up with the product, but I was just curious. You know, I think what they've done recently with the, uh, the monitors and yeah. the, uh, you know, honestly, I like how A&E, A, AEW does it with the, with the, the crew around the ring. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. I, I think that's good. There's uh, some people in the stands and stuff like that. They're, they're playing it safe and everything like that. I like that. I'm not. I'm not a big fan on the on the Thunderdome and the uh, the screens and the the audience. But you know, years and years ago, Jerry Lawler and Terry Funk mm. did a empty arena match. I don't know if you ever saw oh, yeah. that. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, I I couldn't. You know, when I was watching it for the first time, I I couldn't. Well, this makes absolutely no sense to me. You know, yeah, why yeah. would? But it was really good, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think there's to that because, you know, again, too, there was, you know, different era of suspension relief, but also it's different, I guess, if you're doing it once in a while. There's a story behind it. It's leading to something. Whereas if every match is an empty arena match, you know, maybe not as good. Right, right. Well, they're, you know, they're keeping the product alive. They're keeping, they're yeah. moving forward with what they're trying to do. I mean, there are circumstances that they wouldn't choose this, right? Oh, this happened and they're just rolling with it. But, you know, a good story in wrestling is a good story, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, you, you get these guys who know how to wrestle and move around and tell stories. I'll tell you who was really, really good, who wrestled in Dallas after the heyday of World Class was Eddie Gilbert. Yes. I don't know if you know anything about oh, yeah, what that yeah, guy yeah. was. He had a great angle with uh, major, Jerry Lawler. Major. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I really... Eddie's a guy I appreciated more as I got older. <laughs> you know, I saw his stuff that... Right, like, right. Oh, wow. When I was younger, I just thought he was like this, you know, he was like, I, yeah, I was weird. Like him and my guys like Honky Tonk Man, I didn't, pre- I, they did their job. I hated them when I was younger. I'm like, who's this guy? I hate this guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, one other thing I want to ask you too. Now, uh, like, do you, have you read some other wrestling books in preparation for this? Or was there anything you did with any other, like, did, I don't know, what was your preparation for this? Well, you know, I, I had been writing boxing stories and MMA stories and wrestling stories. I was doing that for a good six six years, six yeah. or seven years before I I jumped on to this book. So, you know, yeah, I, 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 read, I, re- I read, let's see, I read uh, Ric Flair's book. I read, there was a couple other wrestling books uh, off the top of my head. I, I, but I didn't like cram for an exam, you know, you know, I just, just started talking to him and just started, you know, it's so funny is when, when we did decide to do the book, I had it in my mind, oh, it's going to be, you know, chapter one will be this and chapter two will be that and chapter three and this and we'll cover this and this. And he goes, it's a 10 year period. And I go, no, but we got to talk about this and this. And he goes, it's between this year and this year. And you know what? He was absolutely right. And that's where the story was. <laughs> That's good. There you go. He's a pro wrestler. He knows how to tell a story at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so one last question before I have you promote this and tell us where we are, when we're expecting out. Did you have a favorite wrestling book? I was just curious. Favorite wrestler? David Von Erich. 
David, yeah, yeah, that David's awesome. Yeah, it's funny. I was a Carrie guy. My buddy AJ, who does the show with me, was a was a Kevin guy. But as I get older and look at more stuff, I'm like, oh man, David was really good. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Yeah. Hey, you know what? When I was living there, I think they all, you know, I took turns. Like, they were all my favorites at one time or the other. But, you know, I recently was watching a match on the WE Network, WWE Network, with in the, uh, what's that called? The Gems? Yes. The Hidden Gems? Yeah. There was a match in there with David Von Erich and Harley Race, I believe it was in 1977, his rookie year. <laughs> you go back and you watch that right now and you think, wow, this kid's a rookie and he's wrestling Harley Race like that? He was special. And a credit to David, too, that a lot of people don't know this, too, was he's the only one, to the best of my knowledge, that did a little bit of heel work in Florida. So he had kind of experience doing a little bit of both. Right, right. Oh, he had some fire in his belly, I'll tell you that, man. When he was uh, yelling on the microphone, I mean, he really looked like he was he was mad, you know? I mean, he he was good. He didn't have the body and the build that Kevin and Gary had, but boy, he had he had a charisma and he had a general like a what do you call it? like a he was a general technician in the yeah. in the ring, man. Gotcha. So why should people buy this book? And then also when can we maybe expect it on shelves? I think people are gonna like this book because it is just not about Lance Von Eric. This is about world class wrestling between nineteen eighty two and nineteen eighty seven. You gotta remember, if it wasn't for the Freebird feud and the Von Eric feud, there would be no Lance Von Eric. If David Von Eric died, there would be no Lance Von Eric. You know, fans uh, who lived in that area and grew up on that wrestling, you know, those boys were over. They were so popular. They were like rock stars, and I am not kidding. We were at Six Flags one summer, and it was hot, and we were waiting all day in lines, and I think my dad was getting irritated with it. And all of a sudden, everybody just left the line, and we went all the way up to the front. And my dad was like, hey, what just happened? And they said, the Von Erics are over there. Wow. <laughs> and so they, they basically pulled everybody who was waiting in lines. Just, you know, they couldn't do anything. You know, if they gathered anywhere for a few minutes, they were they were mobbed. That's wild. And not going anywhere. That's how popular these, these young men were. They were very popular. They're good-looking guys. They had great personalities. They were hometown people. And, you know, I lived 10 miles from them. So, you know, sometimes we would have, like, a Von Eric sighting. That was a big deal, man. Well, that's awesome. When do you think people can expect to see this book online or on shelves? This book will be online. You can buy it at LanceByChance.com. And if you like the Lance Von Eric Facebook group page, there all the information will be on there. But the website is LanceByChance.com. I also have Russellville.com. One word, Russellville, like like Louisville, I guess, Russellville.com. There'll be some uh, information on there as well. But uh, I think people are really going to like this book. For the, the fact is that they can read about Chris Adams. They can read about Gino Hernandez. They can read about Ric Flair. Ric Flair's got a chapter in there. There's Bruiser Brody is in Chapter 16 very heavily. I think people who grew up with this wrestling and liked watching this wrestling, you know, they see Lance on the on the book and they say, oh, oh, uh, it's Lance Von Erich. I don't want to read that book. It's not about Lance Von Erich. This is about... 
like I said, this is world class between 82 and 87. And I think a lot of people are going to be really surprised when they read the book and, and see how it goes. It's a history book. It's a book about relations, you know, relationships that he had with these guys. And it's also, it talks about his journey through pre professional wrestling. And we're talking about a guy that had no desire whatsoever to be in professional wrestling. Mm. And he credits all these guys like, you know, he'll talk about Jake the Snake Roberts, and he'll talk about Kelly Kaninsky, Matt Bourne, the Von Ericks, and all these guys that were second-generational wrestlers. And he'll say, hey, you know, there was something special about those guys, but what what did they have in common? They, were, they grew up around that stuff all their life. Mm. And he thought that that's, you know, he thought, well, there was a lot of good wrestlers in the business, but when it came to the second-general or the second generational wrestler, he gave them, they, they were in high regard in his book. Mm. Well, yeah, it sounds like a fascinating story. You sold me on it. It was a pleasure having you on here, Vinny, and I, I wish you success with the book, and thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Awesome. Support for the Working Fans Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They have just launched in the UK. They have gone years over there without using the right tools for the job. And now, if you live in the UK, you can be one of the first people to experience their life-changing products. AJ, you were telling me about their products earlier. Give us a rundown of a few things they offer. Let me tell you something. As a former professional wrestler, I know a thing or two about wrestling with ancient technology. Having to get ready in the 1990s and the early 2000s for a wrestling match and having to take care of your favorite tag team partners down there below the belt wasn't easy. You'd use an old straight razor or you'd try to use those old-fashioned clippers. And all you do is you cause, some, you cause your tag team partners to get color. We're not trying to do that, folks. We're trying to take care of them and preserve them. Now, with the modern technology brought to you by Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0, you get a ceramic blade that keeps your buddies down there south of the border safe and in shape and ready to go all night long. And why don't you tell us about some of the features and some of the stuff that they have, like Joe asked you. <laughs> Guys, not only do they have your favorite technology for the trimming, mm. but they have stuff like the crop preserver. They've got things that will make your balls so gentle and sweet and with tonic that even an old married guy like me might actually have a chance to get them touched. Maybe that's a ball yeah, wipe, too. Dave, when you're wielding those balls out in the free world, you don't want to have them be like mini cacti, do you? Just slapping them in the face. That, mm -hmm. that doesn't work. Nah, man, before, I made a few accidents myself. Looked like somebody just crushed up a bunch of ketchup packets down there. It was awful. I thought I had to go to the hospital. But thankfully, my, I made it out all right. My wife's favorite thing. My wife's favorite thing that they have is they actually have disposable mats that you can stand on while you're doing it which keeps you from leaving all your business all over the bathroom floor. That's a big thing when it comes to cleaning up. Got some cool t-shirts, too. Guys, the Manscaped engineering team has perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, and it's just released in the UK, the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Fuck the 2.0. <clears throat> they upgraded it, and the Lawnmower 3.0 is a third-generation trimmer. 
which features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. Because this is one place where red doesn't equal green. When I say this thing is premium, I'm not fucking around. This thing is premium. It has up to 90 minutes. You can get a longer shave. And frankly, if you're shaving for 90 minutes, God bless you. Yeah. It's also constructed with a waterproof technology that allows you to shave in the shower. Mm. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've can- also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. You can Why even- go that fast? You can even now do your trimming when the lights have gone down low and you can do it with that nice LED light. I'm telling you, it's like having a spotlight down there to protect you. Now, I do arguably my best work in the dark, but even though it contains all of the above-mentioned features, don't forget about the charging stand. Display it in your bathroom. Let people know you're shaving your nuts. It's an intelligently designed stand that is a convenient charging stand powered by USB. Now, if you're listening to us talk about dick shaving right now, we want you to experience all of this firsthand for yourself. Let's clean you up from bush to tush and beyond. Go to manscaped.com and get 20% off your order and free shipping with the code WFP2020. Remember, the code WFP, Work Fans Podcast, baby. 2020 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. I got my tech deep now. I don't be tech on or nothing. Deep in the girl's phone is a phone. It's not the same fucking thing. It's not the same fucking thing. Welcome back, fans, for another week of the 531, where we take your top five list on a particular subject, vote it down to a top three, debate that top three down to a top one, and this week we are talking the top wrestling families. Just like when we did valets last week, I think you're going to hear a lot of the same names, and I wonder if one name is going to beat them all, much like last week. Dave, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great, baby. I can't wait. We got the families going here. I think, to me, it's a two-family race. I think I know who the family is going to win, but I, I, I think I know the top three. But we'll see how this- Yeah, there's going to be a few families that end up in there. First list we're going to bring you <laughs> is Jesse from New Hampshire, new father. And mm. talk about best families. The fucking Dean family is about to be the best family in wrestling. But Jesse voted for the McMahons, the Guerreros, the Von Ericks, the Rhodes, and the Wyndham Rotunda family. Really? Yeah, that was a surprise. Yeah, that was a surprise list. And I mean, he's going with the Blackjack Mulligan, the Barry Wyndham, the Mike Rotunda, and that further extends down to Bray Wyatt and I'm assuming Bo Dallas. But he didn't have the Hearts on there or the uh, No High. No. <laughs> He didn't have them Samoans <laughs> or the Canadians either. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. He might have been a different. He did have the Von Ericks. I heard that name. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting as we get closer here. All right. When I go with Flynn, he's got the Samoans <laughs> in at number one. How would you pronounce that name if you had to? Uh, Anunnaki. <laughs> it, it's definitely the Anunnaki family. Yeah. Not Anunnaki. I didn't say Anunnaki. <laughs> To chop the internet. I'm fucking up as it is. You don't need to add on to it. 
<laughs> the Aloha family. <laughs> oh, the Aloha family. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> Just an ordinary demigod. Yeah, but the Samoan motherfuckers, they're number one. <laughs> and as Mike Flynn put it, but uh, he's also got the Hart, the Rhodes, the Von Eric, and the Wyndham family. Wow. See, I thought the Wyndham family was going to be an out of left field pick. They are a big wrestling family, but you have so many other families out there that it's good to see them get a couple votes early on. Now, I've got Charge. I've got Shard Johnson from the Rock and Randy's Rock and Wrestling Group, and he has the Orton family, the Rhodes family, mm. the Kayfabe Anderson family, the Pafos, and he just wrote Samoa, but I assume he means the Anawai and Fatu families. Mm. The Anawai. Yeah, I like them too. <laughs> but how do you like that Anderson yeah. family? They That's another idea of something that pops up in wrestling. But it was interesting that oh, they, yes, yes, yes. it's interesting that the Andersons were included since they are a wrestling family, but maybe not a bloodline family. Yeah. Are Owen Gene related? I don't remember. Oof, I don't even think no. so. I want to say Gene was the last actual one. Right. Gene and Lars, right? Yeah, Lars yeah. One. I think it went back yeah. that far. And then, like, you know, there was that story that Arn told about C.W. Anderson coming up. And making sure he was right. cool with him using the name. And he's like, I'm not an Anderson. What does it matter if you, like, he, not that he would hold him back from it, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Anderson family is a great case. Flair's Both a part of that family, family too. Are blood related. Yep. Flair was also said to be a cousin of the Andersons for a oh, while. Yeah. So that yeah, makes. Rick Flair. Yep. Yeah. That gives him a little <laughs> more credibility, too. Now, whose list do you have next? Rick Flair, Rick Flair made our greatest wrestler for Minnesota. I believe we found out after he was in the city. That's okay. <laughs> hey, shit happens sometimes. We give you nothing but the facts here. <laughs> we, we do our best. We all don't, right. we don't oh, lie God, to you but, intentionally. Right, right, right. We'll just fuck it up. But that's all right. We got, <laughs> we got speaking of not going to lie to you intentionally, we got my main man, Randy Oscar, coming good, good. He's got the Hart family. He's got them Von Eric boys. He's got the Armstrong boys. Nice touch there, Randy. He's got the Guerrero, and he's got those wild. <laughs> now the Armstrong family, I that that's a really good pick for Randy. We we shit on him a lot for his picks. That is one where, given the death of Bullet Bob lately and the success of Road Dog Steve. You know, they've had a lot of great workers in their family that that is a very good pick. Now, the next list I have is from Scott and Voluntown, and he has the Hearts, the Rhodes, the Von Erics, the Guerreros, and the Anawaii family also. AJ's got the Hart, the Von Erics, the McMahon, the Samoans, and the Orton family. Surprised the Orton family didn't make it more. Yeah, that is another good list. AJ going with those deep cuts, which is always good to see. Now, the next list I got for you is Zach. And he has the Von Erics, the Hearts, the McMahons, the Guerreros, and the Anawaii family. Oh, uh, yeah. Those wild Samoans. They're making a lot of lists over here. I got a list from Tim Hartford. Well, I was just going to segue right into the next list here. And uh, he's got the Smolens, the Hearts, the Von Erics, the Guerreros, but he also added the Cologne. That's right. Carlos and Carlito and uh, Epico, the Cologne. We got them all. Let me one more in there. 
And that is, I think that's an important pick because you don't think like, I mean, Dave, you're Puerto Rican. They run an island. And to be like the main, they're basically the McMahons of Puerto Rico as far as I have understood their standing. And their respect in the game almost goes as deep as the Samoans. Not quite as deep because the Samoans have more of a tradition now of helping with training, but the Colognes are mm-hmm. just as deep in wrestling lore, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's an interesting thought. They're definitely in random territory, similar to the Von Eric, you know, who kind of owns Yeah, you're right. They would definitely be included when we talk about these families. Joe, do you have any more lists? I got one last list. I got my list. And I included uh, the Hearts, the Canadian Hearts, the Rhodes family, yeah. the Von Erics. As much as I don't want to include the McMahons, it's hard not to. And I finished off with the Anawaii Fatu family because the Samoans, the the saying goes around that they're all related, which sounds horrible to me, but a lot of them are cousins or they even kind of have that tribal feel where if you're one of them, you're kind of in. You know what I mean? So that's almost like an older, yeah. more sacred type of family. Thing about it is they dominate so many decades too. With Peter Maivia, then the Wild Samoan, and then you got you know obviously Yoko, Fatu, and then uh, we got the Anoy family is uh, number one. I got the Hearts in at two, the Rhodes in at three, the Guerreros in at four, and I got the Von Eric wrapping us up at five. Wow. Now you've been keeping a tally, I believe, going on, and who are kind of who are the top couple vote getters so far that are definitely going to move on? It's definitely the, the top is going to be the Anoy, the Heart. <laughs> And the Von Eric. And I mean, like we said, it was a lot of the same names on a lot of the same lists. And Dave, is it as clear cut this week who's going to go on to win? Or do we have a little debate here and kind of talk it out? I don't think so. I think the Hearts are going to go over the Von Eric just for the fact that the Hearts, with Brett especially, and a little bit with Owen, the mainstream run in a bigger time period. And I think just overall, like, Nothing as great as the Von Erics were. They really had, I think, touches as it did. Then you obviously have, you know, Stu, you have Owen, you have Dave Boy. It's a close one. I think Brett's kind of a difference maker, given the stuff he had. The Samoan family, too many of these guys. <laughs> They're all very successful. <laughs> it's just so many people. It's, you can't compete. When you start looking at the success of Roman, Rukishi, and Yoko, I mean, Roman and Yoko probably made it four or five WrestleMania. And I would say the Wild Samoans were big in the 80s and 90s, too, as kind of that wild attraction 80s. that they brought. I'd say 90s, maybe a little bit of 70s, early 80s, mid-80s. The Samoan SWAT team class, the head shrinkers, were big in the late 80s, early 90s, though. So, I, I don't know. Who do you want to give it to? I almost feel like I'd rather give it to the Samoans just based on their more positive impact of what they've given to wrestling. I would say the McMahons yeah. because they grew it to such a big thing but it's also debatable whether mcmahon killed the territories and i think that's one thing that greatly hurt wrestling over the years at the end of the day the reason why i don't give it to the mcmahon's is that i got the hearts at number two and the von eric number three but Samoans are taking it home all right guys well you know what the music means we have decided on the number one this week and if you want a chance to vote Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, watch us on YouTube, 
Find us anywhere you can search the Working Fans Podcast. And we want to include you in with us, and we will talk to you next week. Have a good one. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week.